0: all right everybody how's it going how's it going welcome back to a thousand cuts we are a bsa podcast i am your host demetrius here with my comrades glenn the case and tony how y'all doing man let the people know what's going on man We're back for back for another episode six episodes
1: (laughs) hey y'all
2: what's up everybody
3: Hey, hey party people what's going on
0: yes 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 we're excited to be back we're excited to be back going to dive right in, y'all going to dive right in. We need to anybody excited about, you know, what I'm saying Obama's press tour. Anybody excited about Obama at all? Because we're going <laughs> to we're going to get into that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>, Cricket. <'cause they laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But first, we're going to get into this news. Case, would you like to go ahead and lead us in presenting the news?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's jump into the international news first gotta start with france the french police protest is going on over the weekend thousands of french citizens came together to demonstrate and protest against police brutality in their nation the protest started off peaceful but then later degenerated into violence as demonstrators clashed with the police an article from the guardian reports french security forces have fired tear gas at protesters marching against police violence in paris after masked Activists launched fireworks at their lines, put up barricades, and threw stones. The protests were prompted after a video was released of a brutal beating of Michael Zeckler, a Black music producer, by four police officers. The officers claimed that they approached Zeckler because he wasn't wearing a mask and that he smelled like weed. The police searched his belongings and found 0.5 grams of weed. The four officers are being charged over the attack. Article 24 of a draft law named Loy, security global, hope that was good enough French, comprehensive security law that would allow for the criminalizing of publishing images of police officers while they are on duty. Many journalists, activists, and citizens were outraged by this and view it as a violation of freedom of the press. The law overall includes measures to expand policing and policing methods in a variety of ways. Online footage was also released of police officers using violent force to break up a protest refugee camp located in central Paris that added fuel to the fire. An article from The Guardian reports, officers were filmed tipping migrants out of tents, slamming riot shields into individuals, chasing people down streets, and attacking refugees, journalists and others with truncheons and tear gas. And on to Cuba. Cuban artists' protests. Over 200 Cuban artists came together last Friday to protest outside of the country's culture ministry. The protests were sparked after authorities suppressed the demonstrations of 14 artists who are members of the San Isidro movement, an artist collective. The artists had protested for 10 days total, and six of them were on a hunger strike. The premises where the protest was taking place was raided and the members were evicted. The authorities claimed that the raid had to be done due to COVID-19 restrictions, and one of the members had recently traveled from Mexico through the U.S. and did not properly quarantine after. The 14 members were given COVID-19 tests and then returned to their homes. Two of them refused to leave and were arrested. One of them is rapper Dennis Solis Gonzalez, who is now facing up to eight months in prison for contempt. The activists are currently demanding their release. Recently, over two dozen protesters met with the deputy minister, Fernando Rojas, and the government has agreed to have more meetings with the activists and reconsider Gonzalez's case. A report in Al Jazeera has a statement from one of the activists that says, It's a special flame that ignited here today. Activist and music promoter, Michael Matos, who took part in the meeting with Rojas, told Reuters, news agency. We talked about freedom of expression, freedom of association, censorship, and physical repression, Matos said. I don't think there has been a dialogue like this in a ministerial space for 60 years. These kinds of protests are very rare in Cuba due to the fact that consent from the government is required in order to hold demonstrations. In India, there are the Indian labor strikes. In India, over 250 million people have gone on strike all over the country due to the new neoliberal deregulation laws passed by the Modi government that puts farmers at risk of being exploited by private entities. This is considered the largest strike in human history. An article in People's Dispatch reports that the protest by farmers in states around Delhi continued late into the night on Thursday and early Friday. Thousands of farmers have broken blockade after blockade and are marching to the city. The police have used water cannons on them repeatedly but have failed to break their spirit. They are expected to reach the borders of Delhi on Friday. The strike was organized by a coalition of workers and farmers movements with 10 national trade confederations and the umbrella group, All India Kisan Sankarsh Farmer Struggle Coordination Committee, or AIKSCC. That consists of over 200 farmers groups across India. Women's rights groups, students unions, and various civil society organizations also participated in the strike. The strike also received support from left parties and several opposition groups. Some of the key demands contained in the 12-point charter put forward by the organizers include withdrawal from a series of laws recently passed by the Modi government, repealing key labor and farm price protections, a rollback in the recent disinvestment policies in major government-owned enterprises, implementation of existing welfare schemes for rural workers, and expanding welfare policies to aid the masses affected by the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thousands of farmers, along with members of trade union groups and other movements from across India, also led a rally to the national capital of Delhi. The rally was met with a fierce repression from the Delhi police, who made use of a blockade, baton charges, and water cannons to stop the march. Eventually, the blockade was breached. In similar confrontation with the authorities, workers and farmers groups brought major metropolitan cities like Kolkata and Mumbai to a standstill, with sit-ins organized on key transport routes. The industrial and mining belt across East and Central India also witnessed a virtual shutdown. An article from Al Jazeera has a description of how the new laws function and why they could potentially jeopardize the livelihood of the farmers. Firstly, they make it easier for farmers to bypass government regulation markets, known locally as Mandis, and sell produce directly to private buyers. They can now enter into contracts with private companies, a practice known in India as contract farming, and sell across state borders. The new regulation also allows traders to stockpile food. This is a shift away from prohibitions against hoarding, which can make it easier for traders to take advantage of rising prices, such as during a pandemic. Such practices were criminal offenses under the old rules. Farmers have some genuine concerns. A big one is that the new rules remove many of their safeguards. More than 86% of India's cultivated farmland is controlled by smallholder farmers who own less than two hectares or five acres of land each. They fear that they just do not have enough bargaining power to get the kinds of prices they need for a decent standard of living when they negotiate to sell their produce to larger companies. The government has left us at the mercy of big corporation, Rashbinder Singh, 27, a farmer from Punjab State, told Al Jazeera in September. It is preposterous to believe that farmers who have small land holdings will have any bargaining power over private players. These massive demonstrations and protests are happening in the context of a country that has been ravaged by COVID, which has heightened already existing economic inequities. India's GDP has decreased by 23.9% and their unemployment rate has increased by 27%. Now for national news. Islamic people being monitored by the U.S. military through their prayer app. Researchers at Vice have discovered that the U.S. military is purchasing the movement data from people around the world that is gathered from commonplace apps. The most popular of those apps is Muslim Pro, which is an app that assists users with their designated prayer times and helping the user to pray in the direction of Mecca, which is the holy city in the Islamic faith tradition. The app has over 50 million downloads through Google Play and over 90 million collectively over other platforms. The Muslim Pro app has its status sent to Xmode, a company that gathers data streams to sell to defense contractors. An article in Vice reports that... Through public records, interviews with developers, and technical analysis, Motherboard uncovered two separate parallel data streams that the U.S. military uses or has used to obtain location data. One relies on a company called Babel Street, which creates a product called Locate X. U.S. Special Operations Command (USOCOM), a branch of the military tasked with counterterrorism, counterinsurgency, and special reconnaissance bought access to locate X to assist on overseas special forces operations. The other stream is through a company called Xmode, which obtains location data directly from apps, then sells the data to contractors, and by extension, the military. The news highlights the opaque location data industry and the fact that the U.S. military, which has infamously used other location data to target drone strikes, is purchasing access to sensitive data. Many of the users of apps involved in the data supply chain are Muslim, which is notable considering that the U.S. has waged a decades-long war on predominantly Muslim terror groups in the Middle East, and hundreds of thousands of civilians have died during military intervention in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Motherboard does not know of any specific operations in which this type of app-based location data has been used by the U.S. military. And finally, we have the Penguin Random House acquisition of Simon & Schuster. At the end of November, Penguin Random House, the largest trade publisher in the U.S., acquired Simon & Schuster from Viacom CBS for $2.175 billion. This effectively brings the big five publishing houses down to four. Penguin merged with Random House in 2013 under the media conglomerate Bertelsmann. Ron Charles, writing for the Washington Post, explains just how massive the publishing house has become. Penguin Random House contains 320 imprints that release about 15,000 titles a year. Simon & Schuster, at the time of the article, publishes 2,000 titles a year. Critics are to cry in the merger, citing long-term effects this acquisition will have on the industry as well as authors and readers. Laura Zatz, the founder of an agent at Headwater Lit, addressed the problems with the merger on her Twitter account. She wrote, Things That Will Happen When There's a Penguin Random House, Simon Schuster Monopoly, Fewer Imprints and Fewer Editors, Ever Shrinking Midlist. A midlist refers to books that are not bestsellers but are strong enough to justify their publication and further purchases from the author. Fewer debuts being published and fewer sophomore books. Indie bookstores and libraries will be beholden to unfavorable purchase terms and a difficult distribution system. While many critics echo precisely what Zatz shared, Franklin Foer at The Atlantic lays the blame for this series of events at the feet of another player, Amazon. Foer explains it like this. If it's correct to worry about a merged company that publishes perhaps 33% of new books, then surely it's correct to worry about the fact that Amazon now sells 49% of them. In the face of Amazon's dominance, book publishers have huddled together in search of safety. Amazon's size gives it terrifying leverage over the industry. When the government intervenes in a market, its actions are never neutral. One of the greatest mistakes of the Obama administration was the 2012 lawsuit it brought against book publishers for working in concert to cut an ebook deal with Apple. The issue is not that the publishers were acting virtuously. They behaved like a cartel, which is illegal. It's that the publishers were hardly the worst offenders. The government flogged the publishers for a technical violation of antitrust laws rather than constraining the most egregious monopolist in the spirit, if not in the letter. It is also worth noting that Barack Obama's new book, A Promised Land, was released by Penguin Random House this year, breaking records for the largest first-day sales total for any book ever published by the company that's it for the news.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was awesome. Oh,
1: thanks. That was awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot per usual. So how's everybody feeling? How's everybody feeling? Go ahead and let us know what piqued your interest during the the segment.
2: The publishing stuff is definitely very intriguing. Definitely lays out more of the arguments of all the money, both with regards to Amazon and how they're outpacing everybody in that share of the market mm. space, but also with regards to how these companies are really becoming more and more conglomerized and just mm. merging together into these behemoths of capital.
0: Yeah, man, that's uh, damn Amazon. Damn Amazon.
3: That's a bad sign for anyone looking to publish an unpopular idea or a, a idea that mm-hmm. clearly conflicts with those people's class interests, and we know what class interest that is it's particularly bad for that
2: yeah it's a bleak outlook for sure
1: yeah i, I think, guess in a,
2: in a wee bit oh, go ahead okay so. no, no
1: i'm sorry i'm sorry i'll be quick i was gonna say what really sticks out to me as a writer is knowing that it's already hard for black authors to even get a foot in the door yeah and now yeah. we unless you're already established it's going to be unimaginably hard if that's the route you want to take so thankfully there are more indie publishers stepping up but when there's a monopoly in place it's even harder for indie publishers to make waves <sighs> so it just it really affects across the board what people are going to be able to put out
2: yeah, yeah. i would yeah. say shout out to verso i think it was verso they just began the process of starting a union publisher that's one bit of good news but like you said it's a small wave in comparison to what these mega companies are doing
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. The case is the weird racial politics in the publishing industry.
2: The numbers are crazy.
0: I was informed about it. this old podcast called uh, For Colored Nerds. They they went on to do a podcast called The Knob, but they were talking about this from years ago. I don't know if you know the author Marlon James. He's a Jamaican author, queer Jamaican author, phenomenal writer. He wrote A Brief History of Seven Killings, which is a sort of like, Reimagining of Jamaica during the time of like Bob Marley and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's currently writing a series, I believe called the, the Black Star series. It's basically supposed to be like a African game of thrones, if you will. It's oh, not that really did. game yeah. Thrones. I know you're talking yeah, about Yeah, yeah. It's incredible.
2: He, yeah, because he was just like they keep telling out, like from George yeah. Iron to fucking Tokyo and like they keep telling Audi it's mm-hmm. very white, like maybe. yeah medieval based fantasies and it's, there's a fuck ton of african like fantasy stories that oh, we can and, draw from and it's
0: the exact opposite of everything it's the mm-hmm. exact opposite it's not only african but it's very queer it's yeah. like psychedelic it's just the exact opposite of it's great and yeah he had published something i can't remember it too well but he was talking about like the sort of racial dynamics within, like the publishing industry. Essentially, if you want to be a, like an successful author, then you have to write books that'll be like consumed mostly by like white wine moms or something like that. I would have to look up the article that he wrote on it in response to someone else. But I'm just fascinated by that all of it goes into literature and, and publishing. It's just fascinating and. Also, let me just say solidarity and just fucking mad love to the people of India, 250 million people, 250 million people across the country. Mm -hmm. Sick of this shit.
2: And there's so many dynamics to that too. Like they have a Mm -hmm. caste system. They have different dialects, different languages amongst those populations, There's so many barriers that they overcame in order to organize that many people to to strike on that magnitude. Yeah,
3: like I mentioned it, how how COVID has ravaged India. And then Mm -hmm. not to mention the anti-Muslim protests before this, for them to, like you said, for them to coalesce with all that is going on, it it is definitely a a sign.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 People are just fucking sick of neoliberalism. And I love it. I love it. It's great.
3: (laughs) All over the world.
0: It's unfortunate that it had to get to this point to be like this bad with COVID, but people are sick of it. And the same thing, solidarity to the people of France.
2: Personally, I'm a little disappointed. Not not with our international comrades; they're they're all outstanding and really setting the stage. But I'm disappointed. Well, with you disappointed with us? <laughs> like,
0: what did I do? It's the US, man. It's the US dog. We got to stand yeah. out. We got to be different. And by being different, doing absolutely fucking nothing and just totally accepting the conditions.
2: I, th- I think that yeah. time is coming. This summer really sets set some things ablaze to be a little <laughs> direct, but I, I do think that even with that being the case, that considering all that we're up against and the the literal just non caring of all of our political leaders, like they just don't mm. give a fuck that we're all suffering in our different ways and. From unemployment not showing up and running dry to folks just being forced to work and there being no real lockdowns and like it's just yeah. across the board. You'd think there'd be a lot more fervor underneath people and like just in the streets, but at the same time we, we're so fucking atomized, individualized collectivity is definitely gonna be a struggle for us. Yes.
0: To, to yeah. Overcome. yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. This is America, baby. This is America. And then on top of that, I mean, you can't really just—it's—it's it's not individuals themselves. It's, you cannot underestimate just the power of just right-wing and capitalist propaganda and indoctrination on mm. people's belief systems. You yeah. just can't. You know what I'm saying? When I'm having conversations with people and talking to them, the way that it has worked to just give people a naturalized view of these systems. This is just what it is. This is inevitable. This is nature, you know what I'm saying? This is a byproduct of human nature, all this stuff. And, and we would have to do a whole separate, you know, episode on that, on just breaking that apart. But it's just you cannot deny that. You mm-hmm. just cannot deny that. And it's just unfortunate because like you're trying to get you try to lead people in conversation and in dialogue. I, I Glenn, I know I mean you had a conversation about this, right? It's like you try to in the conversation. I think sometimes the left does it wrong. I think a lot of the time the left does it wrong. We want to appeal to people's, their reason and their logical side. But in reality, you have to change people's imagination and hit and touch that emotional core. And then the logic will follow after that. Mm. But neoliberalism and just... Just all the ideologies that come from these systems of domination that help them to reproduce themselves have just, you cannot deny just how they have totally warped and formed people's imaginations. And it just takes work to change it. And that's why we're not on the same shit as the French right now, because the way that they think about imagine politics and imagine the world and life together is just totally, it's, it's just not the same. And it's just. Yeah, the
2: the it's French so people so definitely cool. know how to realize power in their own hands.
1: They love a good revolution.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: They love a good protest. And I I think just another thing that really has kept us gridlocked with capitalism is the systems have convinced people like us, everyday people that we're a stones throw away from being millionaires. Like we're a stones throw away for getting yes. out of earning our yeah. way out of this. And it, it's. Until we can undo that programming, I think it's going to be really hard for us to forget about the individual and really work toward the communal. And I, just like what you guys are saying, like in France and other places where it's not individualist and it's more about how can we break this down? That's why it's easy for those things. I feel like it's easier for those things to pop off because that's already in the, their foundation of who they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely meritocracy. That's it, meritocracy. You, oh, you I hate know, it. Yo, if you work hard enough, you can make it. And even though, even
2: though people really believe in that, though, because you ever see that one? I forget what show it was, but it was something and Diddy was on it, and um, like making the band. Uh, it might have been the band. It <laughs> might have been talking about basically how you want to get as rich as me, so you never have to do anything ever again. That's that was. Yeah, he said that shit resonated oh, with God. me because I was like, that's really what niggas feel like because like people yes. want to get rich that they never had to do anything ever again. That's all anyone care about. Yeah. And if, how about we, I don't know, decentralized power so that the load is light on everyone and no one has to work in an outpaced manner in order to be able to have some semblance of survival. It's not mm. even like thriving. It's not even like you're living in comfort. You're just trying to survive. You're still scraping by, but people working eighty hour weeks and shit like that.
0: In order for y'all to be like me, mm-hmm. I need y'all to go <laughs> run and Get so jog cam- to Cambodian Jamaica, breast milk <laughs> to go get some Campbell's milk and go to Jamaica, Queens and get a cheesecake. Do y'all remember that episode? I'm How sorry, could I, I just have to get into this. they made him go all the way to another part of the city to go get cheesecake. And then when they came back, the nigga already had cheesecake. I was yeah. so tight.
3: Yeah, that had to leave a, a real big imprint on me. Yeah, that's not the kind of person I want to work for. <laughs> Somebody who made like the all, the you got He <laughs> got a car for everybody. He got a car for everybody.
0: Yeah, Making the Band is <laughs> one of the cruelest shows that has ever been oh made. It gosh. really is, bro. Yeah. It's re- I think Making the Band is up there with like Beyond Scared Straight or some shit because that <laughs> shit is crazy. I just could not believe... Just the weird... Even the Sing, the R&B battle, that, it made no <laughs> yeah. sense. And yes. everybody in the battle had on tank tops and beanie. And, and, and tank tops <laughs> and do-rags. Do I just...
1: Do you remember Dylon? Yeah. I hope he's doing
0: well. Man. It's, uh... <laughs> That's... <laughs> that changed everything, man. But, but think said about
2: it. it earlier. I want to get into that a little bit. Uh, go ahead, Tony. But I just wanted to mention that, you know, that, in a way that's propaganda. And I want to yes. dive into that a little bit. But go ahead, Tony.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Demetrius said it earlier, is normalized than us. It is mm-hmm. us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is no other way. There is no changing it. It's, like I said, it, and, and, and most people's brains is final. This is how we live. This is how we're supposed to live, you yeah. know? And someone like Diddy or someone like we're talking about people who the liberal pundits before the show, we're talking about the liberal pundits who only speak. They do a lot of speaking and pointing to the problems, but no speaking to the solutions. They know that a lot of these people are smart enough to know that speaking to the problem does nothing for us. Diddy knows that everybody can't. I don't care how, how far you walk to please your boss or I don't care how much right. work you put in. Not everybody can make it. Diddy knows that, mm-hmm. but he's selling that hustle mentality. He's selling that American dream for a certain slice yeah. of us. And, mm-hmm.
0: and it's fucked up. It, even labor practices in hip hop to oh, yeah. know, bring that analysis to it's terrible. Look at Birdman fucking people out of contracts. <laughs> yeah, diddy, 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 you know what I'm saying? His relationship with, um, what's his name? That's what I was trying to think. Um, I remember um, he did somebody dirty recently.
2: Mace. They were like, he wanted to get his rights back or some shit. And it was something along the lines of like, why would I sell your rights back for that price when I can sell it to a white guy for way more or some shit like that. that. If you can't afford it, yeah,
3: yeah. I'm not selling it to you. And I bring that up to people all the time. Like how... How is it not clear to you that we need to own our work and the things that we use yeah. to, to work? Yeah. How is it not clear when Kanye West, an artist like Kanye West, can't buy his music? He, he like they won't, they wouldn't even they won't sell it to him. They won't tell him a price. Or mm-hmm. someone like Lil Wayne, one of the biggest artists of the last 20 years, he's not in control of himself. He's not in control of his life. Like, how is it not clear that we need to own the
2: things that we use to work? No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I wanted to get back into the, the propaganda element of how those shows, like making a band and all those, especially like in that, that period of the 2000s, like early 2010s, when all of those shows, the, the real like goes yeah. into the, the lives of the rich shows were really popular and they're all over the place like VH1 and shit.
0: VH1 behind the music and yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 And
2: I, I don't, I'm not trying to be reductionist because I'm sure there's probably more outputs from this, but I feel like it kind of creates two, two dynamics. You get the people who either got radicalized by that shit and began to see the world for what it truly is and how capital distorts people and makes people into these monstrous figures with out, outsized power due to their, their proximity to money and power. But then I think it also socializes some people into becoming one with that type of system and seeking that kind of domination and becoming sociopaths essentially through that kind of propaganda it makes like we're talking about it it makes you feel like sean
0: john i was john i had all that shit bro
2: but also it makes you feel like you want to be that person in that position of power you can tell people go do whatever the fuck you want and they'll do it yep you know i think about i was watching uh, the hip-hop Series on uh, Netflix that was going into the like, history, the origin and shit, which obviously is the sanitized origin still because it's on Netflix. But and like, how was his name? Russell? I'm, I'm real bad at.
1: Oh, uh, Simmons.
2: People. Yeah, Russell oh, Simmons. Simmons. <laughs> I'm real bad at celebrity in general. If you didn't know,
1: oh,
2: you're good. But Russell Simmons, yeah, like he he said on that show, like he got rich. He went to Europe somewhere, and as soon as he got off the plane, he told a, a fucking uh, I forget like a butler, some kind of dude who was like waiting on him, hand and foot. He was like, well, what can I do for you? What's the first thing you want? Now that you landed, he's like, go get me some cocaine and some bitches. And it's just, damn, that's, uh, oh, it's my <laughs> Let's go. That's what I want. I want to be able to do whatever I want, regardless Yikes. of all. Like, it's shit like that. And it's just. Like-
0: yeah, I just think that we really have to reconcile with the fact that hip hop and rap, despite its incredible, like, revolutionary potential, mm-hmm. has just been a vehicle for just pure fucking neoliberal capitalist ideology mm-hmm. that's just the fucking truth dog
3: and then even even worse than because instantly a lot of people hear that prompt and they'll say okay yeah they'll think about the most mainstream rap but even the conscious rap even uh, i'm sorry the quote-unquote conscious rap it, it's more disparaging the people who are down than it is critiquing the system that creates yes. those people's it's more critiquing the drug users and not the drug creators but it's more Critiquing poor people and not the people who's stealing from the poor people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you noticed that too, Tony? There are a lot of rap songs where it's nigga, get up off your ass and get that, da-da-da, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so shit, yeah. shit like that. There's a lot of songs like that. Like, I'm not gonna lie, there's a song by Big Crit. I fucking love Big Crit. But I cannot remember the name of the song. Pick yourself up. Yeah, Uh, yeah. ain't nobody Mm -hmm. helping no broke Mm -hmm. ass but it bang it It it, it bump it it bump in the whip but I'm like bro
3: I try and rationalize it in my head not everyone has the not everyone has that historical black revolutionary outlook it it took us a while to get in touch with that and and still grow with it we admit it to ourselves every day we're growing with it and I rationalize listening to people like that because even if they don't have they're not as connected or to whatever degree that we are, they still provide that insight for just for them, even if it's a subconsciously, for them to point out the failings of capital, and then praise capital at the same time. Yeah, the apparent contradictions in, in, in their behavior and a- actions—you, you, you can—it's—it's it's useful. It's to see somebody with that kind of chasm and their thought it, it shows you one the things that we talk about and we read and we share with each other the, those things matter and it also shows us that there's a lot of work to do there, that the roots are there with these with a lot of people we just have to fully articulate close that chasm within them if that doesn't sound too you know no, I think that's
1: spot on i think that's spot on tony it's true kind of like what we've been saying this whole time like that whole propagandist, like all of that has been seeped in even for the most well-meaning of us we have to constantly do the unwork do the work of unraveling it from ourselves and like falling back on respectability politics is just as bad as the misogynistic colorist other bullshit on the other side of it so it's, you summed um, it
3: up exactly what i was thinking thank you, okay. <laughs> <I got> you. <laughs> in shorter terms that's You're exactly what line. i was thinking
1: <laughs> yeah you know what i mean so yeah. it, i feel like it's our job that's like why i'm so thankful for this podcast because I get to learn, while we're hopefully educating other people as well, it's a lifetime. Because I think about every single year of your life that you, were, you walk this planet, you've been inundated with these images, you've been yes, inundated yes. with this messaging, your parents have yep. taught it to you, your grandparents, your babysitters, your teachers, your friends, you see it day in and day out until the moment you engage with socialist thinking. So mm. that's a lifetime of information to scoop out of yourself. So I think it's really important yeah. for us to always meet people where they are and challenge them to go further.
0: You know? Yeah, I would recommend that people watch a video. Sorry, I just no, go ahead. to throw this out there. There's this great music reviewer by the name of Mike Seatown. He's like a black metalhead dude, but he covers like a lot of different sorts of music. And he did a reaction to, I don't know if y'all saw that old Damon Dash. and this, And this shows you how indoctrin like how deep that capitalist indoctrination is in our community this Mm. video of this breakfast club interview with dame dash which he was basically low-key really shaming people's parents Mm. and people who have regular jobs because this mentality you shouldn't work for nobody you should be your own boss okay (laughs) and And it's it's insane. And Mike C-Town, he broke it down. He was like, this is the most ridiculous fucking shit I've ever heard. He's calling you, your mama, your father weak or less than, or just basically weak for having a regular job and providing for themselves and their family. And then he really breaks down how absurd it is because they were like, because Dame Dash was like, oh, I didn't work for nobody. I got my money. I got my own money and started investing. And he was like, bro, how... If you are not already born wealthy, how are you, how did you get the capital uh-huh. to invest? Nigga, you were selling dope and robbing niggas. Oops. That's yeah. what it was. Ding, That's, ding, That's how you <laughs> got the money to invest. Right, let's and I am old. and I'm not
2: often in story.
0: Yeah. And I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be out here and be nobody's judge, jury, or executioner. I understand that I know the context. Their niggas are going to sell dope. That's going to do what, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to judge people. But at the same time, I am, you have to realize that these celebrities are an influence on generations, on younger generations. I don't want to sound like some sort of conservative, but that's the fucking truth. I'm not about to sit up here and be like, Shame niggas for having regular jobs. I would rather you go stock shelves at Walmart or fucking work a shit fast food job than to sell dope, probably end up behind bars, fucking dead, all types of shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's in that mentality of be your own boss, be your own boss. And that mentality is true in a certain type of way. What Tony was talking about is like us owning yes. the means of production, us controlling the our own labor. Absolutely. Absolutely. But not in the context of being somebody else's boss. Like we're not trying to switch sides in the hierarchy. We're trying mm-hmm. to destroy the whole thing. So I really recommend that video. I'll make sure to link people to it.
2: It would be a very interesting dynamic to hear some fucking rappers come from that stance of don't go work for somebody, work with your people and cooperate on your own business. Like you don't Mm -hmm. have to go and you don't have to just do the the, the typical nine to five worker for some boss, but at the same time, you should work with the people in your community versus going to go do something else. I think that would be a very interesting model. But then, I mean, who, who's really pushing that it's in that position? Especially when you get surrounded by, you know, yes men who just mm. basically just applaud you for your ego and yeah, your yeah. possessions. And then you begin to feel godly. You think that, I did all this. Nobody helped me. I never had anyone supporting me. I never had anybody. I, however you got your money, like, yeah. that doesn't matter. <laughs> Bottom line is now I'm at the top.
0: Yeah, I think that Nipsey Hussle, May He Rest in Love kind of modeled that a little bit. I know Nipsey Hussle's father, I believe he's, I really don't want to miss the name of this people group up. Eritrean? Yeah. From Africa? Eritrean.
1: Eritrea, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, but his father was actually a Marxist, which is crazy. His dad is actually a Marxist. And If you look at the way that Nipsey Hussle moved, he always moved with community in mind. He had that whole center that he was developing and stuff like that with a kitchen. And he had like a general store where people can go in and get clothing and supplies like cell phones and pampers and stuff that his community needed. And I think he was really moving in that way, even though I don't think he was on no like revolutionary socialist type shit. I think he had it in him. Like he was a capitalist. That's just what it is. Not trying to slander him at all. But I think the way that he moved was, the the way that he modeled was far better and far healthier than a lot of rappers. Right. And, and in terms of money and relating to your community and stuff like that, and it's just unfortunate that his life was cut short and he was trying to do stuff with investing into a Bitcoin company, which is, we can have a different conversation about Bitcoin. But yeah, I think he, that he was really a better model all around for that, but.
2: I would add some more positives. I would have some critiques, but I, again, I'm not trying to drag somebody's past. Absolutely, me, yeah.
0: <laughs> far more positive than anything negative. Far more positive than anything negative. Yeah, great. But yeah, you.
2: I just wanted to before we do change topics though, because you brought up something I thought was really intriguing about the whole aspect of how rappers oftentimes, again, like in the same way that it's individualistic and the uh, you know get yourself up is often tearing yeah, down yeah, yeah. individual tearing down. Yeah. Disenfranchised, marginalized people. Did y'all hear about like Young Thug and like his shit recently? He was yeah, being, he, he, he was talking, talking shit to
0: Andre three thousand. Yes, absurd,
2: but being very colorist towards some, some black women who were oh, hell. I think this oh, he been doing that. This, this might have been a been doing ago, that, yeah. but i Yeah, just pointing that out again with regards to how he is about things and how like yeah, he was like talking shit about their hair and all that stuff. Of course. And, it's just the way that these people perverse themselves to feel like they're better than and that they're transcended their own people because they've acquired capital. And it's just come yeah. Off. In the end you, to think that his ego has gotten so inflated that now he wants to talk down on his predecessors who are from the same place he's from definitely paved the way for young brothers like him, no doubt. Absolutely. Uh, Andre Thousand. For it. him
0: to even open his fucking <laughs> mouth about
1: Andre Three Stacks. Yes. How right. dare you? Who also complimented him previously. Right. <laughs> like, right. I didn't have to, but he did. Yeah. And I'm a Young
0: Thug fan. That probably says a lot about me, but I'm, okay. I am rock with Young Thug. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? There's, them Slime Season mixtapes slap. Yeah, yeah. He, he got slaps, some, you huh? know.
3: His range, he got some range. They got range. They got to be hyper individuals, like you said. Lift yourself. I got myself here. No help, no nothing, nobody. But they also got to be, you know, performative. The music industry is oversaturated with only a few personalities and they have to try to reason with themselves and why they're there. Like, oh, I'm here because I'm the best. I, I, I Like you said, I, I did all this. It, it has nothing to do with I anything can, else but me. I
0: hate this shit.
3: Man. Nah, it, it's, it's horrible.
0: That. It's everywhere. Drake do that shit. Everybody do that shit. Ain't nobody d- do it but me and, Duh, and I'll put the city on my back. It's like, nigga, that's not true. You got that's put on true, by bro. this producer. This rapper put you yep. on. Shut up, bro. That, and that, everybody's still literally-
3: starving in your city. You got all this right, bread you can exactly. talk about, but everybody starts. Yeah,
0: no, that's real shit, and that's why a lot of these niggas, when they go back to their hoods, niggas kill them. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but that's the yeah. truth. I've yeah. literally heard it. Fr- I've literally heard it from from a motherfucker's mouth myself. Like niggas really don't. You talk all this shit, but it's like, niggas really don't respect you, dog. Like, I've literally heard somebody was like, yo, like, Drake was in town one time here in Houston. It was like, fam, if he came up to my hood, we would probably rob that nigga. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Was like, right. Absolutely. And
3: The link between criminality and poverty is ever present there. When you have someone telling you,
0: No, Tony, Tony, it's, it's not money. The reason that we engage in criminal behaviors is because we don't have dads.
2: This, oh damn! I forgot that. <laughs> if you actually got your act together and identified as the new black,
3: you'd be a lot better
2: off.
3: <laughs> I'm saving up a couple uh, unemployment checks. I'm about to get that uh, that new Pharrell joint. I'm about to be in the master class. <laughs>
0: Shout out to the new Jesus. black. That shit came and went. That shit came <laughs> and went. It's not about race anymore. It's about your perspectives, nigga. Shut up. You are just rich. That's rich, nigga. Shit. That's rich nigga shit. When they start oh. saying that you can transcend. You can trans- <laughs> trans- trans- say whole
1: chest. Well, that's what really gets me. You have to be so in the rich people bubble and so disconnected from everything else that's going on in the world to say some shit like that. I can't even imagine that being possible to say with a straight face. Can you imagine saying that shit?
0: like watching jay-z's interview when he was talking about colin kaepernick y'all remember that interview it's like oh yes
1: know, we, we gotta move on, the from like, move on
0: i was just like are you fucking nuts we all know what the issue is i'm like wow this nigga is such a capitalist mm-hmm. that's, that's literally i was like wow this nigga this is what money does to you mm, and nuts. but it's so odd because you juxtapose it to beyonce her shit is more like, she's more militant, more, you know what I'm saying? Like more woke and shit. And that she made me shit, look at I her said, funny. I'm that like, too, that's, that's image, what I'm she, saying. She's that's...
2: capitalizing on the imagery. She know what's going to resonate with people on that. Oh, yeah. remember this shit in school when we looked at the Black Panthers for 2.5 seconds? Yeah. The niggas ride with,
0: with her. The Beehive going to come at us on Twitter about it, but that's Don't okay. Don't come me, Beehive.
1: I'm a member. I'm I'm not part of this. <laughs> I'm more a
0: Solange fan. <laughs> I'm more a Solange I fan. Did. I saw her live and it was amazing. Oh, but anyway, means, yeah, yeah, man. The yeah. money is something, bro. Money, money is really something. You know what I really just...
1: hit me? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, you can go ahead. Look no, ahead. I was, I was gonna,
1: just gonna add on just with the insanity of it. I love her music. I enjoy it tremendously. But I think what really hit for me with Beyonce was when she was like jet skiing in their pool. And I was like, <laughs> I remember seeing that. I'm not fucking around. Like I jet skiing. Like, are you like
0: fl- the case? Yeah. Beyonce has her own beehives. She does. She has multiple beehives. She, she has beehives. Yes. And she makes her own honey for her and her family. There's gonna be a I product was line like.
1: Coming. There's got to be a product line she, coming. She's, not,
2: she's not stupid, you I mean, think about yeah. it. These, these rich people know that the world is burning. They know that the bees yeah. are dying. So fuck yeah. it. I'm getting my own private collection of bees. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep our agriculture going. Well, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but we we going to be straight. Makes for go right like, eco, like that eco-tempered dome that's going to protect them.
0: Because <laughs> cause her, I think her logic was like, she was tired of getting like the processed, I guess, store-bought shit or mm-hmm. whatever. So she was like, fuck it, I'm just going to have my own. But I'm like, that's so rich. I don't know what other way, that's just rich. Right. That's just rich people shit. I just could not believe that when I heard that. It's like a totally different world. Like you said the like, case, yeah. it's, it's just a bubble.
2: Before you go too hard on the bees, I don't think it costs that much to have bee hives. I know some people, <laughs> I people who have bees, but I, I get what you're saying though, because it's like. Point where it's just like you just snap your fingers and a whim, just like, oh I don't like this store about honey anymore. All right, <laughs> and then you just have fucking like hey, a yeah. whole ass.
3: Yeah,
0: bro. Most niggas in the hood are not gonna have a be. Yo, I gotta be thing. Bro, no, that is not nice. like that. That's like, um, the
3: striking me though is that she was able like she she identified okay, th- there's just this bad part of my diet. Let me do something about it. She was able to do something. So, so that shows that she knows. She knows that. People
0: are eating shit, not, not right, just shit, right, honey, right, shit food. Right, right, right. She has in her. Yeah, head. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, we finna get canceled all over this <laughs> shit. Y'all.
1: Oh, I better not get
0: canceled. No, we, <laughs> I'm not ready. The case, the got us. We, we still. Come on, chill out, beehive. We just, on, bring, we, we do, we bring in the analysis. <laughs> we have to bring the, the, in the yeah. analysis. Is, we can't. That we have to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go Do
2: you ahead. deal with these hot takes. <laughs> got
0: deal with it, man. I think
2: the beehive, the beehive, whatever the fuck, they're they gonna have to realize That, something
0: <laughs> that, Wait, that nigga Glenn's <laughs> energy the whole episode is fuck celebrities, my nigga. Oh, that's been oh, my energy is. for a very
2: long time. So I'm, I'm saying of- changed. So,
0: so, beehive, beehive, whatever,
2: whatever that shit called.
1: <laughs> but it, he's right. We, we cannot worship people. We, can't, we gotta
2: stop worshiping people. Stop worship people on these people. pedestals.
1: It's just money, y'all. like you. They have. They might have nicer toilets, but they still go poop. <laughs> they, they, have problems. No, you, they you didn't see
2: curf- that Simpsons episode? to take pills so that they don't have to poop anymore, or yeah, it smells that. like. Oh, oh my god! They
1: have done it all on the Simpsons. Dang.
0: That's fucking <laughs> hilarious, dude. Well, yeah, and, and but it's funny because even on the black left, there's still a lot of reverence. Mm-hmm. Yeah
2: shit there's people who love celebrities in general let's, let's just call it what it is mm-hmm. no matter what you yeah. no matter where you come from like people still hold these folks in high regard for nostalgia reasons yeah, for absolutely. popularity personality reasons proximity like it's just a, a range of things and it's all part of the propaganda and so we're here 100%. to dispel that shit so be ready for
0: yeah. It. <laughs> there you go yes Yes, it's the same shit. It's the exact same energy for black capitalists too, man. Y'all got a lot of wealth, dog. That's looking good. Let me take Open that and redistribute it. LLC, Twitter. You know what time it is. I'm, t- I'm taking all let's, that let's, shit. Let's, let's
2: talk about one of the most popular black capitalists. Our, our, our I mean, you know, very well-loved, number 44.
0: Big, big homie Barack. Big homie Barack. There we go.
3: He's trying to make them chips. <laughs> I, I'm <a> going <laughs> this man face everywhere, more than when he was president.
0: You're, this you're, nigga's this nigga was gone for a minute, and now his book. I'm like, bruh. that nigga was vacation. Didn't he already write two books?
1: Yeah, he before. already wrote
0: two books.
1: You know that he. What else do you have to say? Oh, uh, apparently a lot. He eighty okay over eight hundred thousand copies sold the first day. Eight hundred thousand. I didn't put the number in the in the notes. Eight. Un, let me double check because I don't want to say something crazy.
0: LaCase, do you think he's trying to glide off the back of Michelle's memoir? Man, oh, you know, because that was popular as fuck.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys like, got to you got to put your capitalist cap on real quick. Because just think about it, right? We we just got off of four years of fucking Trump presidency.
0: You oh, right? And you're
2: right? People have right. been and moaning and just complaining. Oh, I missed this man, Daddy Barack. Yeah. He coming back home. My- they got any kind of inkling into this man's life? They about to eat that shit up. Mm-hmm.
0: Bottom line, he know what he's doing. You know how many Black boys died under Obama? You know how many Black Lives Matter? What the fuck is going on? The suppression of whistleblowers. The, the, people totally forgot about his drone strike assassination program in yeah. African countries, mm-hmm. in an African country. Yeah. Blowing up niggas. They, mm-hmm. We've totally forgotten that Black wealth was obliterated under the Obama administration. Don't forget Flint. Oh f- yeah,
2: this yeah. man dirty out here. Never forget it. Now Flint was cool. He drunk the water. He, yeah, he drunk the
3: water. I forgot.
0: I you to you right, Tony. You right.
3: Listen, he's been just as detrimental as any other president has been to African Americans and Americans and people the world over. He's Glenn brought it up. He's he, he getting them chips. He's playing his capitalist cards. Uh, I seen it earlier. One of one of these political sites they had the. Odds for the 2024 Democratic presidential nominee. And Michelle Obama was first with 26%. And I think AOC was second with 24 or something like that. I had to find it. But yeah, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they're, they're, they're trying to churn out as much as they can. And if it leads to a run for Michelle sometime in the future or sets their kids up to playing movies or write books or go, go to politics, the, the possibilities are endless for them. They're, they're here to yeah. get that money.
0: Of course, I think we would all prefer an AOC presidency. Oh, oh
3: that would absolutely. probably be
0: closer to our politics. And I think that would be good. I've, of course, we don't want no fucking presidents. <laughs> yeah. But, you yeah. uh, I'm it
2: out there in a the psychic ether that we're, we have evolved. We've transcended presidencies at this point. And I really hope that this recent one really seal the deal for people and make them understand that this shit is, it's just bunk.
0: It's not working. Presidents should have been gone the way. Yeah, presidents should have been gone the way of fucking monarchs a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's it's absurdity. The same way that we view monarchs and kings and queens, like a cute little, like a neat thing to see. Like, the, you know, like the queen of England. It's neat, you know what I'm saying? Not really, because I, I fucking hate when Americans you, drool and foam at the fucking mouth and like fucking... Th- th- Blood bust a load in their fucking pants over royal weddings. It's <laughs> just, uh. just, it makes no sense. Like the whole country was literally built upon spitting in the face of the fucking British. Now everybody in Imam is the cream in their pants because this mixed woman married one of the. I mean, you're happy that a black person is a part of the family, is a part of one of the most destructive empires in human history. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's difficult
3: to, how do they, how, how could you rationalize, how do
2: people rationalize that? You guys don't want to see representation in colonialism?
0: Hey. Uh, I'm not doing <laughs> this, dog, because I saw some shit, <laughs> I saw a couple <laughs> that shit ran me hot, bro. That shit ran me hot, dog. What was like, it? I, I forgot. It was someone talking about, oh, oh, so the new head of the, I believe it's the CIA mm. is black under. Oh,
2: shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he has an oh Biden, Biden administration. And someone was like, I looked in the comments and I knew I was going to see some ignorant ass shit. Someone was like, oh, this is great. This is a new step. And someone was like, nigga, do you know what the CIA has done? I don't want a black face on the institution that has literally set up assassination plots against fucking like Guatemalan nuns and, and, and fucking priests and mm. shooting niggas at mass and
3: poisoning water fucking supply. It's like,
0: crazy shit. Bro. But I think before we, because I wanted to read a bit from the article. So it was recently an interview that was done. It was by Jeffrey Goldberg for the Atlantic, where he interviews Obama about his book and just about his views on where American politics is going. And uh, needless to say, there's plenty of dumb shit in here for us to go at. And I just want to read it a little section here. Now, this is number seven of a question that is in the article. What Genghis Khan teaches us about life today. Very interesting. (laughs) So let me just read this here and I'll be jumping back and forth because it's again, it's an interview. It's like a correspondence or whatever. Mm. So Goldberg, let's stay on the subject of the optimism and pessimism continuum. I'm just trying to figure out where you are. Sometimes it's confusing. You have this Ozymedas moment at one point. You're visiting Egypt. You're staring at this ancient etching of a face that looks something like you. And you write about ephemerality of everything. Uh, quote, all of it was forgotten now. None of it mattered. The pharaoh, the slave, the vandal, all long turned to dust. Just as every speech I delivered, every law I passed and decision I made would be forgotten. Just as I and all those I love would one day turn to dust. End quote. That's very Ecclesiastes of them. I actually like that writing. But anyway, putting aside the fact that this level of self-awareness can be paralyzing, Obama, true, Goldberg, you're also still what could be called a realistic optimist. You make it clear at the beginning of the book that you haven't swerved from the belief that America is imperfect but perfectible, that there's more good than bad in the American story and that tomorrow can be better than today. But even with Biden's win, how does Trump as a phenomenon change your view of what America is? Obama. That seemed to me going through the pyramids. It's not an empty exercise. There's a purpose to it. So much of whether you're optimistic or pep- pessimistic excuse me, depends on the time frame. If you were looking across millennia, then humans have advanced. Read a biography of Genghis Khan, who led a superpower for a long time. They were a superpower for longer than America's been around. When they raided a town, they gave you two choices. If you open the gates, we'll just kill you quickly and take your women and enslave your children, but we won't slaughter them. But if you hold out, we'll slowly boil you in oil and peel off your skin. (laughs) Compare the degree of brutality and finality and corruption and just sheer folly that you see across human history with how things are now. It's not even close. Let's take this particular golden age right now after World War II. When America was unified, but the rest of the world was in rubble. Every economic indicator was on an upward trajectory. Everyone's life was improving constantly. Maybe things didn't look as good if you were black or a woman or a gay person. Things definitely look better now than they did in that golden era. A lot of what looks optimistic or pep- pessimistic excuse me, depends on what we're measuring against. What I've always believed is that humanity has a capacity to be kinder, more just, more fair, more rational, more reasonable, more tolerant. It is not inevitable. History does not move in a straight line. But if you have enough people of goodwill who are willing to work on behalf of those values, then things can get better. America as an experiment is genuinely important to the world, not because of the accidents of history that made us the most powerful nation on Earth, but because America is the first real experiment in building a large multi-ethnic, multicultural democracy. That is a fucking lie, a total fucking lie. And we don't know yet if that can hold. There haven't been enough of them around for long enough to say for certain that it's going to work. But if it can work, that's a good thing because we've got almost 8 billion people on the planet. And because of all this technology and because of the stresses and pressures of climate change, we're going to be all up on one another. We have to figure out how to live together. And we have to figure out if we can do this free of caste systems and the inevitable conflict that the kind of social stratification that has existed for most of human history creates. That genie is out. Or past the time in which some peasant in a feudal system is starving and looks up on the palace and there's a king somewhere and the peasant thinks, yeah, that's okay. Now all those peasants have phones and they can see how the lord of the manor is eating. And some of them are going to say, why him instead of me? The willingness to accept one's fate or lot in life because of your skin color or gender or religion or sexual orientation that you're going to accept being less than someone else. That's mm-hmm. over. Go." There's a small irony here. You write about the first year of your presidency of keeping the Pitchfork Brigade at bay when they were coming for the Jamie Demons for the leaders of the financial industry. Obama, they weren't that grateful. I think it is possible to be optimistic as a choice without being naive. And that is how I'm built temperamentally. And Michelle, as I write in the book, tends to be a bit more pessimistic about human nature. Goldberg, Hawaii versus Chicago, Obama, might be, might just be the way they were wired. You do raise something that connects to this question about whether we should feel pessimistic or optimistic, or how our system can function or not function in a global economy. One of the things I was reminded of in writing the book was just how many of my earliest choices were premised on very specific circumstances of being in a global financial meltdown and trying to avert a depression and the political costs I paid. I would probably make those same choices again, because averting a depression is a good thing, but it did hamstring me. For example, I actually think that it is entirely legitimate to push China much harder on trade issues. I didn't come into office as a knee-jerk anti-trade guy, but if you look at the facts, China consistently ran mercantilist policies that violated international trade rules to help build up their economy from the late 80s through today. And if we hadn't been going through a financial crisis, my posture towards China would have been more explicitly contentious around trade issues. But I couldn't have a trade war in 2009 or 10. At that point, I needed the cooperation China as well as Europe, as well as every other potential engine just to restart the global economy. So there's that section. How y'all feeling about that? I hate that nigga. <laughs> 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 I, ain't got no, I ain't got no
3: other critique or nothing like that. <laughs> I, it's explicit, but I, that's how I feel. So I, I'm serious. I don't have no, no yeah. other, nothing else to say about that passage, but I, did, I highly dislike that. Just like you said, that, the, no. the writing in the beginning, like, his words are eloquent and smooth and
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
3: Fucking, and, and it, it makes him even more of the fucking I hate. S-
0: sn- snake. Because hey. I mean, some of the things that he's saying are that it sounds good. But I like how Goldberg caught him in. He called it a small irony. The niggas being a hypocrite. There's a small irony. You write about the first year of your presidency of keeping the Pitchfork Brigade at bay when they're coming for the Jamie Demons for the leaders of the financial industry. He did that. Mm-hmm. He backed Wall Street.
3: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: He backed the street and yeah. let it and let us shit and let our fucking shit collapse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like, how can you sit up here and make this historical reference to a peasant looking at the king and th- that hierarchy being justified in the mind of a peasant? But nowadays nobody's taking that. And it's just nigga, you the fucking king. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're the fucking king.
2: The wildest part about it is that. In this day and age, like, they do that shit while Sam like collecting a big-ass bag. So it's not like you're just the, the fucking awesome, non-invested president. You don't have a fucking stake in the game. Like, you're just being diplomatic. You just, oh, it's just part of the job. I'm just, I just got to make... The bargain, make the bargains between all groups and like try to bring everyone, you know, to the table to agree on things when in actuality you're just stabbing everyone else in the back and you're just working with this one group because they're the ones who are close to money.
0: And I just need to point this out real quick. The, The line that pissed me off. America as an experiment is genuinely important to the world, not because of the accidents of history that made us the most powerful nation on Earth. Yes, that is actually why it's genuinely important to the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's not an accident of history. It's niggas acting and performing domination and colonialism and colonization. Like It wasn't an accident.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We we slipped on a banana peel and here we are with all these (laughs) entrenched systems of domination. Oh, of
0: course, we accidentally, the Europeans accidentally gave smallpox blankets, all that shit. They
1: didn't know they had smallpox. Yeah, honest mistake.
0: But because America is the first real experiment in building a large multi-ethnic, multicultural democracy, there that is the biggest motherfucking lie ever. It was never, never meant to, never meant to be multi-ethnic and multicultural, ever. You can go and read the fucking the founding book?
2: documents Every single aspect that it has any truth to it was a very long, drawn-out fight throughout history. This mm-hmm. shit was not given.
0: Imagine just how our indigenous family would read some shit like that.
1: Mm. Okay, but that
0: doesn't make any sense. That even doesn't make after, any sense.
3: I'm sure even, they don't waste their time. Even after Organics Society, there have been plenty of multinational experiments in, in democracy all over. This isn't the first that's ever been tried, and it, and it, and like like you said, it, 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 this that wasn't the goal of this country in the first ever. But this is like for him to lie and then lie as it all, all around, like everything he said was just outright lies.
0: It's nonsense. The idea that this was the first attempt in human history to do something like this—that's total fucking crock. That's just complete fucking nonsense. And then he has this very like Steven Pinker worldview of oh, hey, it, it,
2: it, it, <laughs> things are getting better in like, proportion
0: <laughs> things, getting better. things are getting so much better first of all let me tell you something not really motherfucker you want to talk about ga- okay he talks about Genghis Khan compares it to Genghis Khan compare the degree of brutality and finality and corruption and just sheer folly that you see across human history with how things are now it's not even close yeah because we're worse now or not even worse no we're just as bad but like now our capabilities have made us worse. During the time of Genghis Khan, there was no such thing as the concept of a nuclear winter or mutually assured destruction. Shut the fuck up. There wasn't a thing. Environmental collapse wasn't a thing back then. Mm-hmm. We literally had the ability to destroy everything. Yeah. It's worse now. It's worse now.
3: I'm quoted from memory too here, but I'm quite sure that the... Mongolians, let them keep their cultures and their religions as long as they... They were a vile and, and very brutal society or, or group of people. Don't escape that. But it wasn't just, like he said, every, everyone dies and the children and women go to slavery. That's not how it was at all. And and to, he's using all these lies to go back to that, to fall back onto that, the idea of America, that, that, that Americanism, just like, we're, just like we were saying earlier about how this way of life is ingrained in us. And, yeah. and then Glenn said, he's filling that void that a lot of people who understandably, they feel like they've been missing during these four years with Trump. He's filling, he's filling that void with, with all these lies. He, he He's convoluting the picture for his own personal gain. He did the same thing with with the drone program, I don't know if this was the statement. But in, a, in a, another interview, he was talking about the drone program and how he he couldn't he couldn't tackle it in, in in this book. And then he gave a non-answer on why he couldn't tackle it in this book. And then he brought it up and he said some people think he said
0: that- that. he said he couldn't address he <laughs> said he couldn't address he said he couldn't address his drone strike assassination. Pro- Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he
3: said I he said, I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't really Holy I couldn't find the, the space to the, to tackle
0: that. I yes. bet you couldn't motherfucker. I bet it, you couldn't.
3: In that same smooth, melodic, staggering voice, he he, he then says I, I couldn't do it because it's so complex and, and people think there were, they were more collateral damage than, than, than there was. And, and it's, it's actually the best way we could have did it. All types of, you know, excuses and lies and, and ways to prop himself up. But yeah. like, it, it's him. That's why I say when I say I, I hate Obama, like it was a hard thing for me to, to stomach. Cause I, I used to have a lot of admiration for me. Yeah.
1: So right, yeah,
3: yeah. And for him to swing from all the way there to where he is now, it, it's fucking disgusting.
0: It's really raw for us, of course, as Black people. So many people in our community, those closest to us, celebrated his win. And my grandfather bought shirts with his face on it and people comparing him to King and all this stuff. And it's just, it's painful. It's really hurtful because we... He he just did an interview with The Breakfast Club and, and they asked him a question, what did he do for Black people? And and of course he ran his mouth about whatever bullshit, but it's just like, you didn't do any fucking thing for us, my nigga. You did nothing. You did nothing. You did nothing. And it's just hurtful because it's just, we all got grandparents and it's just, they lived under segregation or even further back. And they know what real racist, true, just in-your-face fucking racism and oppression is all about, and having a Black face in the White House, it means so much. Yeah. It's huge Mm -hmm. in terms of representation, huge. People who couldn't even, you know what I'm saying? People, especially if your peoples are from the South, they couldn't have even imagined in their lifetime Mm -hmm. that they would see something like that. And then for him to get into the presidency and just change, 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 change. And then you carrying on the same program. You are a war criminal, just like every other fucking president that's ever existed in American history. You're a fucking neoliberal ghoul. I'm going to read a bit from some of his statements that he made, but he's essentially the same sort of conservative as the white president. He did nothing for us.
2: The only thing I was just going to say, because you're speaking to that point, I think it's, it's really important for more and more of us to really step up and dispel those myths, though. Like you said, mm-hmm. our grandparents, in my case, my parents, grew up in the, those times and really confronted a lot of that racism like head on and really got to see how distorted America could be. How it was and it still is in a lot of ways. And I think that's where he comes in, in a lot of this case is that he's the salesman of America. He's literally here to reframe what this society really looks like. When he won the presidency, it set a, a precedent of things were changing, but it wasn't really changing. When he won, like how many hate crimes were performed? How many churches were burned? How many different the white supremacists reacted? in a very violent manner. And that shit was swept under the rug. And then now we had the very violent, you know, uprising of the Trump presidency and his supporters. And here he is again now. He's avoided that whole situation. He, He barely made any statements throughout that four year period. Mm-hmm. And now he's back with a book to reframe America for his supporters to get them back mm-hmm. in line with the this project so that they won't have anything to say, won't have any qualms when these austerity programs start rolling out under the Biden administration.
1: Absolutely. It's that, that respectability politics that we were talking about with rap earlier. It's just going back to bootstraps and pull your pants up and speak right and don't cause a fuss and we have to work together and we can't don't Don't destroy property and don't get too loud, don't get too mad and mm-hmm. just get along to keep, you know.
2: They want to they want to kill the revolutionary spirit. They don't want you to be yeah, revolutionary. It, they don't want you to even think about serve that. them No. He was just quoted talking about how defund the police is too much of a snappy slogan to get people behind. And it's just that's his whole job is to mm-hmm. kill any kind of revolutionary spirit. He showed up. Was it him and Michael Jordan? I can't remember. They showed up to the NBA and squashed them niggas before they had a chance to strike and when the, the uprisings were kicking off, he, he was the first one to speak up. Oh, no, we got to sit down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They, they never have anything to say about the injustices until people are starting to react and respond to those injustices.
1: Exactly. It's never the injustice itself that gets them talking,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is really frustrating. And just like talking about this, I, I remember I was in Chicago at Loyola, and I went to Springfield when he announced he was running for president. And I remember thinking I was oh my gosh a sophomore so I was pretty young I was just thinking this is it y'all like this is what we're like with with our elders I was Mm -hmm. like this is so exciting I'm like part of history this is gonna be so different and like campaigning and everything and being like so going so hard for him and even going hard again in second term because I'm like oh my god we can't have Mitt fucking Romney but it has been such a oh man not long road but it's been really hard to accept that I should say really hard Honest, I, I'm gonna own up to my neoliberalism. It was hard for me to accept that, like the failures, and that it was more of the same, and not getting super defensive because I, it was something that I believed in for a long time. So it's again, like we were talking about earlier, it's we have to unravel from it, and we have mm-hmm. to be honest with what what was done and what is still going on. We're going back to not rocking the boat, and I don't know. I was telling this to. I'm like, what I don't like about people who are like don't rock the boats, like they'll let you drown. To to not rock the boat, you know what mm. I mean. They'll watch you drown. So like, hold their feet to the fire. One
2: thing I give Obama credit for is thanks for radicalizing me. You piece of shit. Ah! Um, <laughs> I was on oh. the ground and at fucking Occupy when he rode through San Francisco, yeah. and like we were protesting and we surrounded the building he was in, and there were fucking snipers on the roof. And I just remember thinking to myself, just wow, they're really down to put down people because put it have, all the way down. We have literal yeah. fucking legitimate concerns with the way that our fucking society is being ran and we don't feel yeah. like our voices are being heard and y'all are ready with armed guardsmen on the fucking rooftop
0: mm-hmm. to
2: squash anybody who has any kind of any kind of opposition towards what they're doing because he Definitely. just wants to be heralded he just wants to be perceived as the best shit since fucking sliced bread and it's just not nah, mm-hmm. dude like you you fucked up you dropped the ball now you need to live up to it and let's just
1: operate become part of the problem part of the machine it doesn't mm, serve anybody. Absolutely. It really doesn't
0: serve us. Yeah. So. That, that's what really started making me, all the killings, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown was really the one where I, where that woke me up to a sort yes. of racial consciousness. Because coming up for me, it was always like, your elders talk about issues of race and you just, is this not, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Especially for me coming up in a multicultural context around different sorts of people. I'm like, ah. You know, that it's just old people shit from back in the day. You're ignorant. And then when he, when Mike Brown got killed, that really did it for me. Trayvon set, set me off. Mm. But just being on Facebook, I don't know if y'all was on Facebook yes. or on social media like oh, that during that time. God. It was a fucking mess. The disgusting, monstrous, racist memes about him. The lies, mm-hmm. all of the lying, all of the confusion. And I'm a large black dude, dark skinned dude myself. And mm-hmm. seeing, just seeing someone who really looked like me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not just in terms of like skin tone, but like body type and face, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That really was like, wow, these motherfuckers really hate us. <laughs>
1: you know what I'm saying? Is, yeah, the target drill, and, and people will, uh, like you were saying, like with the lies, that's what really set me off. Just any kind of justification people could find to not give a fuck about his mother, yes. they would cling to. I got into so many fights until I realized that Facebook fights were a waste of my time. I just to block yes. people and move on and get out there and make a difference that way. But it, it's, oh, oh, it's never ending. And then. When you throw on top of it, I can't even list every single woman, but Sandra Bland for me was huge. But just it was so obvious what was done to her, and yeah. there's no justice. And it's just been so apparent for me that our only the only way that we're gonna survive is together. That's the only way. Yeah,
0: yeah, we yeah, keep it, us safe.
1: Yeah, we have to.
0: Yeah. And, and they, all of that happened under Obama. All of that happened mm-hmm. under Obama. Black Lives Matter, all of that mm-hmm. shit. The, the, the Edward Snowden shit, all of that shit. Even mm-hmm. his dep- uh, his, his, all that shit. Mm-hmm. All of that shit happened under him. The
2: 2008 financial crisis.
0: <laughs> all oh, of that shit. God, yeah. And it happened for a fucking reason. And so I just want to close out here with just reading a bit from Democracy and Black, how race still enslaves the American soul by a great, Pragmatist scholar Eddie S. Glaw Jr., and he has a section in the book called President Obama and Black Liberals. Now, I recommend this book to everyone who wants to understand the current, like, modern trends of Black politics and how we got to where we're at today. The book was written in 2017, but it is just phenomenal. It is just fucking phenomenal. So, I recommend it to everyone. And I just want to read a bit here. Obama was supposed to be more. He was ideally our Black progressive antidote to the conservative policies of the Bush years. After the horror of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, as lifeless Black bodies floated in toxic water and the federal response left many more to die with them, Kanye West expressed what most Black people felt. George Bush doesn't care about Black people. Bush took it that West was calling him a racist. As he wrote in his book, Decision Points, I faced a lot of criticism as president, but the suggestion that I was racist because of the response to Katrina represented an all-time low. That is not what West meant. He didn't mean Bush hated Black people or consciously thought less of them. Bush just didn't care about Black people. He didn't really think about us. Obama was supposed to be different. He was supposed to care about Black people. When I listen to Cornel West, I hear more than a strident criticism of Obama's policies. I hear bitter disappointment and the disappointment goes beyond the president. We've been duped. We're angry with ourselves. Many progressives green screened him. We made Obama whatever we wanted him to be. If we wanted an anti-war candidate, he was it. If we wanted someone who supported universal health care, he was it. Someone who would challenge Wall Street, he was our guy. A candidate committed to the poor, Obama was our man. He was our political play-doh, and he obliged our fantasies all the way to the White House. Obama said as much in The Audacity of Hope, quote, I am new enough on the national political scene that I serve as a blank screen on which people of vastly different political stripes project their own views. As such, I'm bound to disappoint some, if not all of them, end quote. As we say back home in Mississippi, he ain't never lied. (laughs) We should have known better. Nothing Obama said actually confirmed the belief that he was some progressive savior. He is what he has always been. Quote, I believe in the free market, competition, and entrepreneurship, and think no small number of government programs don't work as advertised. I wish the country had fewer lawyers and more engineers. I think America has been more often a force for good than for ill in the world. I carry few illusions about our enemies and revere the courage and competence of our military. I reject a politics that is. Based solely on racial identity, gender identity, sexual orientation, or victimhood generally, I think much of what ails the inner city involves a breakdown in culture that will not be cured by money alone and that our values are spiritual life at least as much as our GDP. This is Obama, and he has been remarkably consistent over these eight years. Many progressives willfully ignored who he was because we so desperately wanted someone to deliver us from the political sins of our times. That wish revealed how limited our political imaginations have become. Yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> that that's it. That's it. That's it. Get this fucking book. But <laughs> more importantly, that's it. Importantly, don't get his fucking
2: book
1: though. <laughs> he has sold plenty of copies. <laughs> he has sold
0: plenty. Fuck this shit. Fuck this shit. Go read Glad and think critically about what he's really, the trajectory and the trends of his presidency. Yeah, y'all. Do y'all have anything else to add before we uh, wrap up? Mm.
3: I think he, one more fuck Obama for good measure. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yes. I, I really don't
3: like the battle. Sorry.
1: No, don't <laughs> no, be sorry. Don't, don't be sorry. It's well earned.
0: Man, this has been a good episode of putting our boot up Obama's ass podcast.
1: <laughs> no. we, we need to end it on
2: a good note,
0: don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. We do.
1: Oh, yeah. We what do. are we look, or we doing do. or taking care of ourselves or looking forward to?
0: Yes. like joy.
1: joy. Wow. Way easier.
0: <laughs> y'all sound off. Y'all sound off. What y'all got going on?
1: What am I doing? Ooh, okay. Don't drag me for being a nerd. Starting a D and D campaign with my family, parents,
0: yes, dude. That's spouse, so sick. brother. We even sick. have.
1: We're pumped. This is my first campaign. We even got little like personalized figurines from this oh, website. Nice. Oh, uh, it's gonna be so dope. So we're what, sitting down. What
2: system are you running?
1: Oh shit, I don't know.
2: Oh, uh, uh, are you doing just like regular D 4 5th edition?
0: Yes. Uh, I guess um, you're- Damn, damn, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn Trump is um, not new to this. Damn, I'm a Glenn. Noob,
1: Glenn. I'm a noob.
0: I oh, was
2: trying to call you out of nothing. I was just wondering what it is.
0: Which our all character sheets look like? which y'all character sheets look like? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I want to what see what is your system, backstory. You what using? class are you? A like, case? Are you using <laughs> I, music during your campaigns you when know y'all it. have battles? I'm going orc style, <laughs> Glenn, I honestly don't know, and I'm, I'm embarrassed yeah, that I cool. don't know. But I will ask, and I will on the next edition of the pod, I will let you guys know. But yeah, very we're doing cool. a we're doing. I, I'm very green. I I want. It's one of those things that I was like, I can't do this. This is lame, but like secretly wanted to do. So we all just said, you know what? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Let's do it. Let's just do it.
2: After you get your feet wet and get some mileage, let me know. And I have plenty of systems that I can offer. Ooh. different Approaches to D&D.
1: Yes. Thank you, Glenn. That's all. That would be awesome.
2: And I guess I'll, I'll pick it up from there. So me. Yeah. And if you're done with the case, sorry.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm embarrassed. Go ahead.
2: So for me, <laughs> uh, I've just been playing Hades. been playing Hades like crazy. Oh, nice. that game is fucking dope. It's hard as fuck. I really like hard games. The energy reminds me of Mega Man, and those games are hard as fuck growing up. I and mean, this one's really hard, but it's it's hard in just the right increments. Like I can get through it, but like it's a struggle, and it's always enjoyable once you make it through a boss fight or some shit. That game is wild. Hades, huh? I'm gonna was, check it out. That was dope. Yeah, it's about super giant games. One of my favorite studios. Go ahead, Tony.
0: Is
3: it's on the uh, PC only
2: or what? I got it on Switch.
3: Okay. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Mine's, that's actually what I've been doing as well. So I I brought it up before. I struggle with mental health issues here and there. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in the 10 years, 11 years I've been dealing with them, I've actually stayed on a medication regimen for the required amount of time for it to start kicking in. About the four to five weeks it takes for it to start kicking in. And so I've been trying to really get back into things I like. So I've been playing a lot of video games, a lot of first-person shooters that like the PUBG's and, and things like that. And then also just, just reading more, finally about halfway through The Ecology of Freedom. And actually, that's actually pushed me on to my second theme for Black Joy, is Greek mythology and, and, and the depth of Greek mythology and and, and how the, the parallels between pop culture and the shifts in pop culture in our life and and, Greek, and how Greek mythology the depth, the depth of Greek mythology, pretty much. Not the Greek mythology itself or me reading it or, you know, taking part in it, but just the, the amount of it, the mm-hmm. the impact it had and, and still has is up to this day. I, I've been finding joy in that, just diving into that. Yeah, that sounds
1: awesome. So
3: out, of, out of curiosity, you watched that new series on Netflix, Blood of Zeus? Yeah, I, I actually, that the Ecology of Freedom in that series pushed me into it. Cause I've always liked mm-hmm. epics. I've always liked full stories. Reading from reading the habit when I was little and stuff like that of really full story. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. just picks up there, gives me a whole world to explore. Really, a lot of the stories that I've heard of a little bit here and there, but it's, it's a lot to it's a lot to dive into, and I'm I'm loving it. That's awesome. awesome.
0: That's, dope. That's dope. Yeah, the Yeti ecology of freedom. Fucking un- Uncle Bookchin, man. Bookchin. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy dog. That shit is crazy. Good. Like when he starts off. His analogy to Norse mythology and Yagdrasil, I was like, "Bruh, this shit is hitting. This mm-hmm. shit
3: is hitting." So he's talking about right now. He's talking about Justitia's just her reason for being blind and and how that how that's supposed to be equal. The inequality of equals and the equality of unequals. And he he is spitting, man. He is really spitting. If you read Google Bookchin, do that.
0: Google Bookchin, Mm -hmm. facts. That's Google Bookchin. Google Bookchin. Yeah, so for me, I've just been trying to get more into things that I enjoy, a lot of music and stuff like that. I've recently picked back up this graphic novel I forgot that I had called Nexus. And it's from back in, I think it was made in, 80s, 70s or 80s. It was one of the first creator-owned graphic novels, one of the first creator-owned comic books, because I'm really big into those. I'm really into those types of titles, like Image and, yeah, Image Comics is a big creator-owned company. I think Shadowline...
2: I didn't know you are in the graphic
0: novels like that. That's my bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some out there. This one is called Nexus, and it has a super cool concept. It's like about this dude. I can't remember his name. But like, he was born in this tank. And this tank, he has like a psychic connection with it. But he's kind of, it kind of messes with his mind. Like, he's kind of mentally ill because the thing is, he can't really rest. He can't really sleep properly because he has constant nightmares of these mass murderers throughout, like, the universe. It's like a sci-fi sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so the tank has given him superhuman-like abilities, like he can fly and shoot shit. And fuck. So in order for him to be relieved of, like, his mental anguish, he has to go and find these mass murderers and kill them mm-hmm. so that he'll stop having nightmares about them. You know what I'm saying? It's a it. super crazy concept. It's a super crazy concept. It's like Dexter almost like he's a mass murderer of mass murderers, you know what I'm saying like Yeah. But he's like this superhero figure and he's just like this really tortured and thing is like he in order to rejuvenate himself, he has to go back into the tank that he was born in. So he'll get body pains and just crazy mental anguish and he goes back in the tank and he's rejuvenated and it's just crazy like he has a psychic link to the tank it's really it's called nexus yeah, that sounds
2: interesting i've never heard of
1: that one yeah i haven't either
0: what else have i been listening to oh just funny compilations of like really bad rap bars that's about it that's that's about <laughs> it uh, some terrible rap lyrics
2: whatever bring the the joy out whatever gets you laughing that yeah. shit
0: that shit is fucking hysterical. I'm trying to think of a really shitty bar right now, but nothing. Oh, no. Something does come to mind. Uh, it's from Chance the Rapper. What does it say? We had Good Burger because we all some dudes? Something like that. Yes, it was a I'm Good a Burger dude. reference.
1: Jesus. Dude, <laughs> dude,
0: I was just, bruh. I hate that I was I have not to say heard <laughs> Good Burger in years. Oh, man. He
2: said you haven't had a hamburger Burger in years?
0: No, I said I haven't heard good burger well, in years. It I heard that's it great.
2: Wow, that's impressive.
0: <laughs> <In this country. laughs> You're right, healthy living. He yeah, a...
3: It's American. I eat a burger every two days.
1: Got to. Yeah, he
0: got another bar. He's like a. He said life is short like a midget, but <sighs> mine's shit. is LeBron James. <laughs> oh, no oh so, god we gonna close the episode <laughs> oh my Good night, everybody. Oh, if you stuck man. around to that thank you <laughs> no i'm sorry before we go glenn remember what I, what I was telling you about like revolutionary rap music how bad it is oh
2: man yeah that's an episode in itself though
0: <laughs> nigga had a bar socking racist in their faces i was like all right i'm no. turning this shit off Spit fire right there <laughs> shit all right, y'all. Well, this is a like, great, great episode of A Thousand Cuts, a BSA podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius, here with my comrades, Glenn, LaCase, and Tony. Thank y'all so much for supporting. We should really
2: start ending it out like an episode of DBC. Tune in next time for another exciting oh, episode. Oh, man.
0: Bro. That would be fucking hilarious. Thank y'all so much for the support, for the love that we constantly get on Twitter. We see y'all got y'all pups relaxing to our beautiful black voices and we appreciate it so much. Don't forget to listen and subscribe and review on Apple on Spotify and on SoundCloud. Please just share it. If you like what we're doing, we have Patreon content in the works. We got stuff ready to drop for y'all. So thank you again so much for your support and we will see y'all next time. Love and solidarity. Peace.